I want to invite you this morning to find Matthew 18 in your copy of the Scripture. Matthew 18. And I want to talk to you this morning on the subject matter, the anti-gospel, anti-Christ undertones of cancel culture. A very timely topic that I'm sure we're all aware of because of what we read in the news. The anti-gospel, anti-Christ undertones of the cancel culture. And I'm going to invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. And I feel like I'm at a concert seeing all those uh, lights out there. Then Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle... One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payments to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, Have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds and open our ears this morning, God, to hear everything that your Holy Spirit would want us to hear from your Word. This is your Word. Every single word and every single verse is inspired and inerrant. And God, I pray that you would use it to change our mindsets about one of the items that we are faced with in our culture today. Lord, help us to be agents of salt and light for the sake of the gospel. That anywhere we see cancel culture at work, we would respond with the grace and mercy and good news that is found through Jesus Christ our Lord. For it's in His name that we pray. 
Amen. Perhaps you saw what happened last year uh, to the state of Alabama's largest church, the Church of the Highlands, pastored by Chris Hodges. It's a church of some 22 satellite campuses and a weekly attendance of about 50,000 people. Now, there are some things about the church that I'm sure you and I would probably not agree with. Now, while it is an overall conservative church like us, we wouldn't affirm everything probably about their doctrine and practice. And so in some ways, we would be very like-minded to them. Perhaps in other ways, we wouldn't. But folks, one way that every church and every Christian ought to be very concerned about what happened to them in 2020 is that they were canceled. And I don't mean that they shut their church doors. They've been a victim to the insidious doctrine of cancel culture that has has taken our nation by storm. Now, here's what I mean by that. Last year, Pastor Chris Hodges simply gave a thumbs-up like symbol to some comments that were made by a conservative pundit, Charlie Kirk, who was a Trump supporter. Well, this didn't sit well with a Birmingham public school English teacher who began to take action to get the church canceled. I do not attend Church of the Highlands. They ought not do things like that. Talk about getting your hopes up. I do not attend Church of the Highlands, said Jasmine Faith Clisby, who teaches English at Carver High School. I would be upset if it comes off as me judging him, she said. It's not that. I'm not saying he's a racist. I'm saying he likes something uh, and someone who posts things that I don't happen to think are very culturally sensitive. On June 8th, the Birmingham Housing Authority voted to end its agreement with the church. The church has what they call a dream team. Volunteers by the hundreds who go into Birmingham's public housing areas and simply mentor young people, helping them with tutoring and other ways to assist them to break out of poverty, all done at the church's expense with no funding whatsoever from the city. They also pick up trash and help people repair and improve their homes in poverty-stricken areas. All canceled. Also canceled was the Christ Health Center, a medical facility completely started by the church at a cost of $2 million and paid for by the church that reaches out into the poor of the city to provide reduced and even free medical care. Canceled. Additionally, the city voted to cancel the lease agreement with the church, whereby the church paid the city close to $1 million for the ability to meet as a congregation in some of the city's high schools. Canceled. Also canceled, the church at its Highlands campus offered free COVID-19 testing during 2020 to any residents of Birmingham living in public housing. Again, canceled. 
In the aftermath, Pastor Hodges has repeatedly apologized for any actions that could be perceived as insensitive. His 37 years in ministry and 20 years at his church have certainly proven that there's a passion in his heart to reach all people for Jesus Christ. Supporters of Hodges have freely spoken about his open arms to all kinds of people, people who might be different and who disagree on a number of topics, but people that Hodges wants to minister to in the name of Christ and his life and his ministry have proven his heart in this matter. Still, he's promised to do better, to keep learning and listening and growing and to try to have a more open heart and ears as to how anything he might like or not like on social media might be deeply offensive to segments of the population. But to some apologies and promises to have open conversations and and to grow mean absolutely nothing. You're canceled. End of story. No repentance, no turning back, No forgiveness, no mercy, no grace. You're finished. Canceled. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to cancel culture. Now, as we look at this today, in no way would I want you to conclude that people don't need to be held accountable. The Bible nowhere promotes a kind of grace that means that we simply look the other way over people's shortcomings and sins. But likewise, the Bible nowhere promotes a culture whereby somebody is simply written off forever with no chance of apology, no chance of repentance, and no chance of a fresh start. Folks, while the church ought to be all in for an accountability culture, I believe cancel culture, as we are seeing it today, is not only ungodly, but it is also dangerous and very troubling. It is anti-gospel and even anti-Christ, and I do not say that lightly or carelessly. I want you to remember that John said in 1 John that there are many antichrists out there. Now sure, we believe that there is coming a day that there will be one supreme figure, one main figure who is the antichrist. But John says that even now, and folks, this was him writing 2,000 years ago, even now many antichrists have gone out into the world. Now why would I call cancel culture anti-gospel or anti-Christ? Well, I want you to just think about it a moment. Christ came to save sinners. He confronted sin, he demanded uh, accountability and repentance, but he also offered what? He offered forgiveness and he offered grace. Now on the other hand, a cultural phenomenon that offers no forgiveness, no mercy, no grace, no second chance, simply can't be of Christ by any stretch of the imagination. It is opposed to, it is against everything that Jesus Christ came to offer. Now what do you call that? I call it the spirit of Antichrist. 
And it's among the latest philosophies and cultural mindsets that we're told will show up in the last days. And now we're going to come around to that in a moment too. But for now, I want us to look at our text. And I want you to see, first of all, this discussion over a question of limits. Read with me again verses 21 and 22. Peter came up to Jesus and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Here's a parable of Jesus that underscores the need for unlimited forgiveness on our part without having even a hint of a bookkeeper's mentality. I want to ask you this morning, do you have a bookkeeper's mentality with people or with certain people? This story is in response to a question by Simon Peter. And poor Peter, you know, it's like Peter habitually has a foot-in-mouth disease. He's always saying the wrong thing. He's always sticking his foot in his mouth. And sometimes he rushes into statements and he has to be corrected. And I think that's one of the reasons people today identify with Peter so much because we can see ourselves in Simon Peter. And Peter wants to know how far he's expected to go with a brother who has sinned against him. Now, folks, that's a scenario we're all going to face. In a fallen world, it's not going to be very long before you're going to perceive that somebody has sinned against you in some way, maybe even a Christian brother or sister. It's simply going to happen at some point in a fallen world. And I want you to notice what Peter is thinking of here. Peter is thinking about a brother sinning against him. How about the other way around? But you know, oftentimes we don't stop and think about that we're guilty of doing people wrong too. When is enough enough? When can we say to somebody, I am done with you. I am finished. I want no more to do with you. You've done something to me that I will not forgive you for. I will not have any mercy over you for. You're you're done in my book. Do we ever reach a point like that? Peter's thinking he should. He says up to seven times. Now you need to understand Peter is graciously adding here to what the rabbis said. The rabbis at the time taught if somebody sins against you up to two times, forgive them. If they sin against you up to three times, forgive them. Four times, forgive them. But anything above and beyond that, don't forgive them. So, you know, Peter's probably thinking he's being pretty gracious here by saying seven times he's going against the standard or going above the standard that even the rabbis of the day promoted. Jesus said, Peter, you still don't get it. I would say to you 77 times or 
70 times 7. You see there's some variant readings here in the Greek text. But whether it's 77 times or 490 times, Jesus isn't saying after 77 times or after 490 times, then you don't need to forgive him anymore. You see, 7 was a number of completeness. Jesus is pushing Peter to forget about limits here. Folks, we aren't supposed to go around with adding machines in our heads when it comes to relationships. We aren't supposed to go around thinking if she does that just one more time to me or if he does that just one more time to me, I'm done. Now probably what Jesus is alluding to here is Lamech or Lamech in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 4 where Lamech has just killed a man for wounding him and he's taken revenge. And he says if Cain was avenged seven times then surely Lamech 77 times. So I want you to notice he thinks, he's thinking he had the right. He had the right to stand on his perceived rights. And he's thinking he had the right to take unlimited revenge. But you know, Jesus is taking that example and he's completely turning it around. Instead of standing on your rights that you can take revenge, it's like Jesus is saying, here's your rights. If you want to know what you have a right to do in God's sight, you have the right to forgive an unlimited number of times. You don't have any right whatsoever to revenge. Your right is to forgive. And to illustrate that, Jesus tells a parable. The parable in a nutshell states that God forgives those who repent of so immense a debt against Him that it is inconceivable and inexcusable for believers to refuse to offer forgiveness to each other for sins that by comparison to what they've done against God are trivial. Now I want you to see what He he teaches in this parable. And I want you to see secondly there that we are debtors to God. Read with me again verses 23 to 27. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Now parables like this often had a king and servants where the king would stand for God and the servants are his children. Settling accounts was likewise a metaphor for facing judgment. Now here's a king who has servants and it is time to settle accounts with one of them. Now you need to understand something about the monetary figures that we're talking of here. The talent was the highest known denomination of money in the ancient Roman Empire and 10,000 was the highest number for which 
The Greek language had a word. And so we're talking about a debt here that would have stretched the limits of even being conceivable in the minds of those who heard this. This was an absolutely unimaginable debt. The man who owed this debt would have himself probably had to be some type of very important uh, governmental official, somebody that could even rack up a a debt of, of this limit. It's a debt that was larger than the total taxation of Judea, Samaria, Edomia, Galilee, and Perea each year. It was a debt that was now beyond the hope of being paid. And so I want you to notice what the king does with this servant. He orders him to be sold into slavery so that his debt can be paid. Now, folks, this was a common practice in in ancient days. You and your family could be sold into slavery so you could work off a debt. Even if you couldn't work off the debt, if you're able to pay something back, something's better than nothing. And this was something that was even allowed in Old Testament history. The Old Testament talks about it and regulates it, how it was supposed to be done. Now, even at this, there's no way the debt is so much if this guy and his family sold. Again, there's no way the king's going to get back what's owed to him. The debt's too big for that. But again, he's probably thinking something is better than nothing. But notice what the servant does. The servant throws himself on the mercy of the king, pleading that if the king will be patient, everything will be repaid. Which again was impossible. Now to the shock of any who would have heard this story, the king has mercy on him and forgives him of not some of the debt, but notice he forgives him of all of the debt. The the king simply cancels the debt and lets the servant go free. Folks, this was astonishing. Nothing's going to have to be repaid. He won't have to be sold into slavery. His family won't have to be sold into slavery. This is a lavish act on the part of the king. And probably nobody in Jesus' audience hearing Jesus tell this story would have expected any type of outcome similar to this. The servant's debt was big, but I want you to notice the mercy and the forgiveness of the king was even greater. Folks, we are all debtors to God. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we owe a debt that we could never repay. We could never work this debt off. Nobody will ever be justified in the sight of God by the keeping of the law or by doing good works. But you know, you still run into people today who think somehow or another there might be a way. If I'm only good enough, if I keep the Ten Commandments good enough, if I live by the golden rule, if I do enough good deeds, somehow or another I might be able to pay off the debt that I owe to God. But it's impossible. And so what are we supposed to do? What we should do as sinners, is that we throw ourselves on the mercy of the King and we we throw ourselves upon His grace. 
And I want you to notice what happens as we do that. As we come to God through faith in His Son Jesus and we cast ourselves upon His mercy, all of our sin is forgiven. All of our debt against God is erased. It is canceled. Now, brothers and sisters, that's a good kind of cancel, right? God forgives you and me of everything that we've ever done against Him. And that's why Christ came in His first advent. The Scripture says, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. We are debtors to God, but Christ has paid the debt. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to His cross I cling. That should be our attitude. The mindset of the world is work it off. Try to deserve it. Try to earn it. But again, it's impossible. Just like with this servant, it's only by mercy and grace and compassion of the King that we're set free. Now, folks, if you're, if you're here today and you're still of the mindset that you've got to do something to earn it, you know what you need to do? You need to come to Christ today and you need to trust Him and Him alone. You know, on Wednesday nights, we've been going through the book of Galatians and the Judaizers, the false teachers, had come into that region and, and Paul has just planted churches in that area and preached the, the gospel of grace, the good news of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. But the Judaizers have come in and they've said that Christ is not enough. You need something on top of Christ. You need to keep all of the works of the law with the rite of circumcision. You've got to do all that. You've got to add all of that to Jesus Christ. And then maybe you'll be justified in the sight of God. But remember what Paul said to the Galatians? That's no gospel at all. That is a false gospel. And anybody who comes to you preaching that gospel, let him be anathema. Let him be condemned. There's Judaizers today trying to add in other things to the gospel. It's a lie. The good news is that through Jesus Christ, all of your sins are forgiven. Accounts have been settled with the King, and you're free. Now, thirdly, I want you to see that those forgiven must forgive. Pick up reading with me in verse, uh, verse 22. Uh, excuse me, verse 32. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now you would think the servant's attitude would be much different. You would expect him to show the same type of grace and mercy and forgiveness that he himself has been shown. But he runs across this fellow servant of his who owes him a tiny little debt by comparison and he throttles him. He grabs him by the throat. 
The image there is of grabbing somebody's collar and you twist it real hard until you choke them and you lift them up off of their feet. That's what he does to this fellow servant. And he's demanding. You owe me. Pay me now. And what this second servant owed this first servant was something like $20. That's all. That's how small the debt was. And you'll notice likewise that this second servant begs for mercy in the identical words that the first servant had used in begging for mercy with the king. But there's a totally different outcome. There's no mercy. There's no compassion. There's no forgiveness. There's no grace. The harsh demand remains, pay me what you owe me. Pay me now. And the fellow servant can't, and so he has him thrown into prison. Now anybody listening to this story, this part of the story is intended to make them angry. I mean, folks, we're supposed to be appalled. You mean you have been forgiven of a debt that was so big it was impossible to even calculate the amount. It's impossible to even pay it back. And yet the king in all his grace and mercy, he forgave you, he wiped the slate clean, and you owe this measly little debt against your fellow servant and you won't forgive him? Appalling. But I want you to notice the king is more than appalled. He's angry. And so he calls the first servant back in. He gives him a piece of his mind and he has him thrown in jail until all of his debt can be paid. But remember that was impossible. Exactly. That's the point. An unpayable debt can't be paid back. Folks, this is a picture of eternal damnation and judgment. You say, now wait a minute. Wait a minute. I thought he was the king's servant also. Well, he was in name only. But you know what? He proved that he was nothing like the king. And I want you to notice what made the king so angry. It wasn't the huge debt that he had forgiven. It was the attitude and the actions of the second servant who would not forgive and who had no grace and mercy. This was absolutely astounding to the king to think about this guy being able to do something like this. Now folks, this shows us what our attitude should be. You know, there's, there's probably families here where something has happened in your family and there are rifts and grudges that have, that have never been forgiven and have never been moved beyond. Now folks, I want to say to you, if that's the position you're taking, you better rethink that position. There are friends that maybe have hurt you. And maybe it was even a legitimate hurt. I'm not doubting that. 
And you know what? There are situations that definitely demand accountability. I mean, Jesus has just spoken in Matthew 18 about when a brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. And if he is reconciled to you, you've won your brother back. If he won't listen, go and tell it to somebody else. Take them with you. If he still won't listen, then tell it to the church. If he still won't listen, then treat him as an outcast, treat him as an unbeliever. And so there's definitely situations of wrongs being done where apologies are in order and where repentance is in order and a complete change of attitude and actions are called for. But back to cancel culture a minute, there is no forgiveness. Somebody can dig up something on you from years back And they can make that known. And suddenly you might lose your job. You might lose your college scholarship. And there's no coming back from that. There's no grace, no mercy, no forgiveness. There's no conversation to be had. You're simply canceled. Now I want you to stop and think about that for a moment. What in the world could God dig up on you if He wanted to? But you know, when God forgives you, He forgives you past, present, and future sins. Amen? In Christ, our sins have been covered. And we're forgiven and born again. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You know, King David said in Psalm 103 that God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. Aren't you happy about that? He casts them as far as the east is from the west and remembers them no more, King David says. Cancel culture does exactly the opposite. The Bible says that love covers a multitude of sins. Again, cancel culture doesn't do that at all. It doesn't cover up. In fact, it seeks to dig up, to expose, to make demands until you've been canceled. Whether it's your job, your reputation, or whatever it may be. There is no good news. There is no gospel whatsoever in cancel culture. The good news of the gospel is that Christ forgives sinners. He redeems us. There's a new beginning. But in in cancel culture, there's no redemptive goal. There's not even a promise held out of any type of redemption. You are simply to be shut down and destroyed forever and ever. Amen. Folks, that is exact opposite of what the gospel does. You say, what's going on with cancel culture? Where is it coming from? I'll tell you where it's coming from. Listen to what Paul says about the last days to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, but Timothy, understand this, that in the last days there will come perilous times. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, Listen to this next one. 
unappeasable or irreconcilable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid all such people. The people who are part of cancel culture also greatly err by setting themselves up as the standard. And I think of Jesus' parable of the publican and the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18. Remember what the Pharisee did? He, he lifted his eyes towards heaven and he said, God, I'm so glad that I'm not like this fellow over here. Because I do this and I do this and I do that. But remember the publican? He wouldn't lift his eyes up to heaven. He looked down and beat his chest and said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And the Bible says he's the one who went home justified that day. People who set themselves up as the standard and play comparison games instead of casting themselves on the mercy of God may one day discover that they are the ones not justified. I mentioned Psalm 103 a moment ago. David said God does not chide us. He doesn't dig up our past sins and chide us. He forgives us and remembers them no more. But again, think about what God does in the timeline of it. In Romans 8, Paul said, While we were yet sinners, while we were guilty, while we stood condemned, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's not when you deserved it, but rather when you were undeserving and lost in your sin. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. And that's when Christ died for you and reconciled you to Himself. The gospel goes to people and it is the promise of forgiveness and good news and reconciliation with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In cancel culture, there are those who presume that somehow they are the ones, though, who can set up some kind of standard to measure your life by and only the deserving in their eyes pass the test. Now, I hope you're beginning to see how cancel culture is anti-gospel and anti-Christ. And I'm not using exaggeration or hyperbole. The real danger in cancel culture is for those doing the canceling. They are like the second servant who would not forgive the matter no matter what. And they're actually in danger of eternal damnation and judgment from the one who is the king. They show they don't belong to the king because they don't have the king's heart. Well, I think you're getting the picture. Allow me to read a few more things. Colossians chapter 3, Paul says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. 
If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And then in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Now folks, I trust you see this morning that wherever we see cancel culture at work, we are seeing the exact opposite of what we find in Jesus Christ. Christians are told to be salt and light. You and I should never be a part of cancel culture. You and I should be agents of the good news of Christ. We should be agents of the gospel. You know, Jesus said that Satan has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Satan offers no redemptive plan whatsoever. Only destruction. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Amen? I want you to bow your heads with me this morning if you would please. I wonder if I'm speaking to somebody who needs to come to Christ today. I want you to think about it, folks. Everything you've ever done can be forgiven and washed clean. Again, that's the good cancellation I spoke of a moment ago. You don't have to be defined forever by your sin. Isn't that wonderful? You don't have to be defined by your sin. Come to Christ. He forgives. I want you to also think about this. Are there people in your life to whom you need to forgive and extend grace and mercy and compassion? Remember, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, that's what He's done for you. How dare you and I claim to be forgiven of a debt we could never pay off with God, but then we refuse to forgive one another of the itty-bitty little sins we have against each other. Anything that somebody's done to you pales by comparison of what you've done to God. You need to forgive. You need to offer mercy and forgiveness and grace. And lay down your demands. Are there some names that come to your mind of people you need to extend that kind of grace and forgiveness to? And then lastly, I just want to invite you to think about this. Where you see cancel culture at work, you need to sound the alarm because you're dealing with folks who do not understand the gospel 
and they may not understand that they are in grave danger. You need to pray for them and share the good news of Christ with them. Father, we do thank You for what You've done for us in Christ. Something we could have never done for ourselves. You've done it. You've wiped all of the dead out. We're clean and forgiven in Your sight. We don't have to work to try to deserve it. God, I pray that if there's even one here this morning who hasn't experienced Your grace and mercy the way this first servant did, that they would come to You, that they would see themselves in that first servant that they owe a debt they can't pay. And they need to come before You and cast themselves upon Your mercy. God, I pray for people in this flock right now who have people in their lives that they know they need to forgive. They need to show that they have the heart of the King. In light of what they've been forgiven, they need to forgive. God, I pray decisions like that would be made all over this congregation that would affect some relationships for decades to come. In fact, for a lifetime. God, help us as the church in these days that we're in to stand strong on the gospel, to not let it be compromised in our own hearts and minds but that we would be agents of redemption preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to think biblically and act biblically and to not keep the good news to ourselves, but to share it with others who need to hear. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.